From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house if you'd like to be part of the program. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we've got a number for you. That number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Charles Beery producing the program today. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky. And Ace McKay handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday, from the Mount, Father John Tregilio. Father, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I've got a question here from Darlene. And she says, what is your opinion of why Mary is so effective in battling evil? In a book, an exorcist wrote that Mary humiliates Satan. I think one of the greatest reasons why she's so powerful is because of her special relationship to Jesus, her son. She is, as we said since the Council of, of uh, Ephesus, the mother of God, and uh, she gave birth to the Savior of the world. So she is the most powerful uh, intercessor we have. One mediator, Jesus Christ, but she is one of many intercessors, but she is the intercessor par excellence. And all the great saints uh, throughout church history have told us that she is very powerful in vanquishing the evil one because of, of that special relationship uh, with Jesus and exorcists have, have attested to the fact that uh, the devil can't stand Our Lady because uh, again because of her special position uh, human beings are beneath angels and the devil and his uh, demons are fallen angels and angelic nature is metaphysically higher than human nature but because uh, Jesus became one of us through the hypostatic union and because of the incarnation Our Lady is raised above the level of the angels she's the queen of the angels she's the queen of heaven and earth so Satan cannot stand her and yet he has no power whatsoever over her you know our, our good friend uh, the former Rosalind Moss now Mother Miriam of the Lamb of God famously would always say that Mary was the quintessential Jewish mother. All she did was go around saying, have I got a son for you? Yes. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. John writes in, can you help me to defend the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist? I would say the best evidence is what we find in the Gospel um, in both uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, at the Last Supper, where he says, this is my body, this is my blood. He uses the verb to be. And then in John's uh, Gospel, chapter 6, 
He says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. So when you connect those two dots, then it all makes sense. How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood unless what he said the Last Supper, we should take literally and absolutely. When he says over the bread, this is my body, uh, then that's how you eat his flesh. And when he says this is my blood, that's how we uh, partake of his blood because uh, the bread and wine are consecrated to his body and blood. So using those, the Synoptic Gospels and then John, um, makes a, the most perfect syllogism, as we would say, in philosophy. Speaking of philosophy, Ellen wants to know, what is the grounds of moral law? Is it God or reason itself? Well, God is the source of reason. So, um, certainly we see this in St. Thomas Aquinas' uh, Summa Theologica. The eternal law of God uh, is expressed to us, revealed to us, through the natural moral law, as well as divine positive law. So since God himself is truth, he is goodness, uh, it's not that there are two different uh, sources. There is one source, truth itself. Uh, It's just that the natural moral law we know through reason and divine positive law, like the Ten Commandments, we know through divine revelation. But both the divine positive and the natural moral law uh, are from the eternal law, which is from God himself. And Carl writes in and he says, I recently heard a gospel reading at Mass that made it sound like most people are going to heaven. What say you? Uh, we don't know. We don't know the num- numerical um, census of heaven uh, right now or what, what it will be at the end of time. But it would make sense. I mean, a lot of the saints speculate this is not dogma. Speculate there's probably going to be more people in in heaven than in hell, uh, because uh, goodness is certainly more powerful than evil. But the fact is that it is sadly possible that any one of us could could go to hell. Um, Mother Teresa was, uh, you know, she was capable of going of being condemned to hell, but uh, she was uh, recently canonized, so we know she's uh, in heaven. But that's something that was never a foregone conclusion. It's something that every day of her life, every day of our life, we have to say, I have to be in the state of grace every day. I can't rest on my laurels and just say, you know, I've got enough brownie points uh, earned up in, in heaven. Uh, that's Pelagianism. The church solemnly condemned that, and so did uh, St. Augustine. So every day we need to be in the state of grace because one mortal sin can get us into eternal damnation. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines for you as we're just getting started on an open line Monday. 833-288-3986. Beth would like to know, she says, the rosary and praying to the saints sounds like idolatry. What are the supports for that? And I think she means for praying the rosary (laughs) and to the saints. I'm not going to support his idolatry. (laughs) Um, idolatry is when you replace God with something or someone else. Uh, so the first commandment makes it very clear we're only to adore and worship the one true God. We're also told in the commandments to honor thy mother and father. And Jesus on the uh, on Calvary, before he dies, he says, Behold your mother. Uh, Mary becomes our spiritual by adoption mother. In the same way we say Jesus is our spiritual adopted brother. So if Jesus is our brother and Mary's his mother, we're part of the same family. So by extension, Mary's our mother and we're to honor her in the same way Jesus uh, would honor her. And that's uh, from the same Ten Commandments that came from Almighty God uh, himself. So our 
uh, veneration of Mary is not adoration, it's not worship, it's veneration, it's honor. In the same way that you and I would honor our earthly mother, our earthly father, we're commanded to do that, and it's not repugnant in the eyes of God, we're just not to uh, adore or worship them. So when a Catholic prays to Our Lady, it's nothing different than when you or I ask our mother, especially if we ask mom to put in a good word with us to dear old dad. How are you How are you at your geometry proofs in school? Quite well, I think. So why you Well, good. You'll be you'll this will be right up your alley then. All right. Mary says, or Brenda rather writes in, if Mary was kept free from original sin and was kept free from actual sin, if death is a result of sin, why did she die? Oh yeah, that's uh <laughs> That's a good logical argument there. Um theologians speculate because this is not dogma, but certainly we, we, we know dogmatically that Our Lady was kept free from sin from the moment of her conception all through her life. So she had the, the special, unique uh, grace of the Immaculate Conception, but also uh, an ongoing grace that kept her from all sin. Yet she retained uh, her free will, and her participation uh, by uh, her free acceptance in the same way that Jesus, who was born without sin, one could say, well, then how did he die? Uh, how was he able to feel uh, suffering and pain if Adam and Eve were born, created with um, you know, the gifts of Im- uh, immortality and impassibility? Um, that would also extend you know, by nature to Our Lady since she was uh, conceived and born without original sin. However, Mary chose to be done to me according to thy word, she freely chose to accompany her son, and Jesus freely accepted uh, death and the suffering that he endured for those horrible hours of, of his uh, divine passion. So it's something that uh, we say was freely accepted. It's something that not necessarily was uh, demanded of them, but they freely, both freely accepted it. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. Just getting started on an open line Monday. A couple of open phone lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. It's a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hot off the presses from EWTN Publishing, taught by 10, a psychologist's father learns from his 10 children. By our good friend, Dr. Ray Garendi, he gives guidance that will help you gain confidence toward modeling, for molding rather, and instructing your own children. You'll be moved by the stories of children who were affected by serious health issues, substance abuse, and unstable foster care placement. You'll also learn why stronger parents who act more and lecture less have smoother family lives. 
uh, how perseverance and consistency in setting and enforcing expectations pays off and much more. Taught by 10, a psychologist father learns from his 10 children by Dr. Ray Garendi. Available now at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. First up today is Mike in the great state of Maryland, a fellow Marylander. Uh, Father Tregilio. Um he's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mike, you're on with Father John. Hello, Father John. Um, my question is, I often help out an elderly monsignor, and I bring him dinner and do some work around his house and stuff, and every time he gives me absolution without necessarily hearing my confession, is that valid? Oh, because <laughs> um, part of the confession is there have to be there has to be confessional matter, so you must tell your sins. You must tell all mortal sins that you have committed uh, that you knew were mortal sins since your last confession. So there must be m- material. Now, if somebody's not able to speak, then they can convey that uh, in writing, or you know, it, it's allowed in the ritual. I've never actually heard anybody go through this but you can even use an interpreter um, but uh, that gets into a sticky situation of how you maintain the absolute uh, secrecy and confidentiality but just to give absolution without a person expressing their sorrow they have to you know <clears throat> express that they're sorrow and what they're sorry for so uh, he may mean well but it's not the sacrament of penance does that help mike that's what I thought. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate the phone call. His arteries might be getting clogged, as we say. <laughs> the old timer. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, this frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to the great state of Minnesota. Kimberly's a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Kimberly, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. So my question is, is there special services to get married? Like, I'll use an example. Say two people who are retired, they want to get married, but if they do, one will lose their benefits. So in my case, I have a fiancé who might lose benefits if we get married. So is there a way to still be committed under the eyes of God and not commit sin to living? together without being officially married? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say it makes sense, but I know, I know where you're coming from. And I've had this request a number of times when I was newly ordained and then even, you know, my 16 years as pastor. Um, some people asked, could they get married in church but not have it civilly recognized, meaning not having any record of it because if the state knew they were married, then, like you said, one person would, would lose some of their uh, retirement benefits. Um, that's not allowed by civil law. And, and uh, by canon law and divine law, um, it's not a sacrament if the priest doesn't marry you in church or ha- needs a dispensation from a bishop. So civilly, it has to be recorded in, the, you know, that's why they have to have a civil marriage license, has to be a record of it. And for, sacramentally, the priest or the deacon uh, must do it now if you get married without the priest or the deacon um, or if you just live together uh, what we call cohabitate then you're not able to receive the sacraments um, I know that you know it does create some financial issues but financial issues 
no way Trump or come near the fact that he wouldn't be able to receive the sacraments uh, worthily. It would be, um, you know, you'd be not allowed to receive communion until you get your marriage, um, what we call convalidated, or sometimes people call blessed by the church. So, you know, um, I would say it's much better to do what's right in, in, on, in the eyes of God, get married, and, um, you know, live um, modestly then. Yeah, he's not going to call you into a situation that's not going to be beneficial for you, right? No, and, and certainly if, if you love each other, you want each other, to, you want your marriage blessed in the eyes of God. You want it to be right and just. So it's more than just living as husband and wife. You actually want to be husband and wife. Uh, next up is Richard. He is in the great state of North Dakota, listening on Ave Maria Radio Online. Richard, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father John. Thank you. Thank you both for, um, I guess, the, the format of being able to answer questions. Um, I was listening a little bit earlier about um, your response to if why Mary had to die, and I just wanted clarification. Is it truthfully known that she did die? I've heard that um, she may have, I mean, sometimes even contemplating and praying about the, um, the mystery of the Assumption, it's not completely understood from what I believe that she actually died or the Dormition. Maybe you can clarify Yes, it's it's never been defined as dogma that she died. It's the position, the theological position of the Latin Church that she did die, and Pope uh, John Paul the Great and many of his um, Wednesday audiences and his um, Angelus uh, talks that he gave said it makes sense that she probably did, just as he said it's she probably, um, Jesus appeared to her first privately on Easter before he appeared to any of the apostles, but that's not dogma. Um, and it's true in the Eastern Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox Church that you refer to the falling asleep of Mary, the Dormition. Um, so uh, I, I may not have phrased it as precisely as I should have, but it's not that Mary had to die, but um, the, th- the theological position of the Church is that she probably did, uh, in the same way she experienced pain and suffering, uh, whether it was in childbirth or at the foot of the cross. Because, again, um, uh, when Adam and Eve were created, they didn't suffer pain and they didn't suffer death. Um, original sin brought both of those into the equation. But Mary, we believe, uh, freely accepted the same path as her son Jesus. So it wasn't by necessity, but by choice. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Andy writes in, My friend said true faith will necessarily bring about good works. He puts the emphasis on the word true. Is there a concept of true faith in the Bible, or is it just faith that brings about good works? Well, actually, it's grace that brings about uh, good works. Um, St. Augustine made this clear, and so did the Council of Trent, that you and I can do nothing on our own but sin, but by God's grace, and we're talking about, you know, there's two kinds of grace. There's sanctifying grace that makes us a child of God, which we receive at baptism, and then we get increases of sanctifying grace through the other sacraments. And actual grace, which gives us the ability to do good things, holy works, um, I give the example, it's like the, the battery in, in the uh, little bunny rabbit that bangs on his drum there. Um, the power that gives him the ability to play the drum, 
that's like the, the, the juice in the battery. Well, for us, that's grace. And faith and good works both come to us through divine grace. And as St. James says, you know, you can have um, good works, but good works alone aren't going to save you. But, I mean, excuse me, faith alone will not um, is not going to save you. But faith and good works, it's not either or, it's both and. And both of them come from, uh, are sustained by divine grace. So it's not this question of which one, you know, does it, the chicken or the egg, which comes first, which is more powerful. We need both because if I have faith and I don't have works, then my faith is empty. And likewise, if I only use works, then it's Pelagianism. So uh, Catholic theology is that we need both of them. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Sue in the great state of Rhode Island, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Sue, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a question. My husband and I will be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary soon. Congratulations. uh, Thank you. Um, And we have four children and ten grandchildren. Um, My question is, um, I have mentioned this to our parish priest, and he said, oh, you should renew your vows. Everybody likes to to see that done in church. And I I agree, but I'm wondering what... If it should just be a blessing, because our, I mean our, our vows didn't run out, and we didn't <laughs> break them. So you are absolutely I know, right. You know, the, because I see everyone doing it that way. But yeah. then my sister, when she, she celebrated hers, they there was just a blessing. Yes. So just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. You do not have to uh, renew your vows because. The vows you said are until death do you part. <laughs> Just like when I uh, put my hands in the bishop's hands when I got ordained uh, a deacon and a priest, you know, I promised uh, respect, uh, obedience, and uh, made a promise of celibacy. Uh, that's for the rest of my natural life. Now, we do renew these promises of priesthood, though, every um, year at the Chrism Mass. So that's why you're allowed to renew uh, your um, marriage vows. But we want people to know that, you know, the first ones are still there. So it's totally up to you. Uh, there's an old saying in Latin, de gustibus non dispuntandum est. There's no argument over taste or opinion. So if you just want a blessing, go with that. You do not have to have your vows renewed. But if you do, uh, it's nice. And uh, But it doesn't make it any more a blessing than if you just got the blessing. There are, uh, There is a nice blessing for a couple who's been married for 50 years uh, it's in the, uh, the the Roman ritual. So uh, you do what you and your husband want to do. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States, uh, we would love to hear from you. That number is one two zero five. Two seven one two nine eight five, And if you do call from outside the United States and Canada on that number, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line. That number again is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. That's open line, all one word, at EWTN.com. 
And if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. Again, the number is 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back to the phones we go. Next up is Roy. He is in Uvalde, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Roy, you're on with Father John. Yes, sir. How are you doing, Father John? He's doing fine. Go right ahead, Roy. Yes, sir. I I was going back on on Mary's assumption, and I I thought that uh, on... November the 1st, 1950, uh, Pope Pius XII had declared the Assumption of Mary to be Catholic dogma. Just wanted to, to, to oh, see oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. The Assumption is dogma. What we were talking about specifically is did she die before she was assumed? And uh, Pius XII left that little ambiguous. He just said when her time on earth came to an end. So there's still a little wiggle room. Did she physically die? Did she fall asleep? It's just that... Uh, we certainly believe that at some point she left this earth, she was taken body and soul into heaven. Uh, and like I said, Pope uh, John Paul II, and I think even Pope Benedict on a couple of occasions privately or theologically opined that, you know, it sounds probable and makes sense that she did physically die, but it's not an article of faith that she died. You have to believe that she was assumed body and soul into heaven. Thanks, Roy. We appreciate the call. Grab that open phone line at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is David, a first-time caller in Tallahassee, Florida, listening on Guadalupe Radio. David, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, glad you could take my call today. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Catholic. Um, the, I often hear the expression... Uh, Mary, the co-redeemer. Um, frankly, it's. I, I want to say this delicately, and but it calling Mary the Blessed Mother of Jesus, the co-redeemer. In other words, elevating her to a co-equal position with Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God is uh, deeply offensive to non-Catholic Christians, and I wonder if you'd care to discuss that. Thank you for calling, and that's an excellent question. Uh, We don't mean that she is equal to Jesus in terms that she is an equal uh, redeemer as our Lord. In the same way, we use the terminology co-pilot. There's the pilot, and there's the co-pilot. The pilot outranks the co-pilot. The co-pilot is there to help when when the pilot you know, uh, has to go take a break or whatever. Um, Mary, as um, co-redemptrix, her role is auxiliary. It's not by necessity. It's by uh, Jesus' uh, invitation for her to uh, participate. But in the same way, he invites all of us uh, to take up our cross daily and follow him. Well, um, why would we need to to pick up our cross if he did it all? Well, he did do 99.9% 
But as St. Paul says, you know, what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, I make up. Not that Jesus could not have done it all, but he specifically chose to, to leave a little bit for you and me. And part of that little sliver, uh, his mother participates in too. So as co-redemptrix, she is not equal uh, to Jesus or some because he is a divine person. Um, she participates in that work in the same way that, that we do. Uh, it's called salvific uh, suffering. And she certainly suffered at the foot of the cross watching her son die in that. But by no means do we want people to think that we're saying uh, that she is equal, that uh, you know she is on par with Jesus. Uh, she has a totally human nature. There is no divine person in her. But our Lord invited her as he invites us. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And I wonder if there's any uh, biblical scripture that refers to to Mary as co-redeemer or, or where Catholics would, you know, derive that position from in the Bible, in the scriptures. Yeah, there's nothing specific about that terminology. It's just a concept, like I said, that St. Paul mentions and the fact that she was there uh, at Calvary and uh, that uh, her particular role. But um, there's no explicit biblical reference for that title, but for what, what the title means, uh, we certainly see that uh, in, in those, um, particularly, like I said, in St. Paul's uh, uh, epistle about the fact that uh, we, may, we make up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. God bless you, David. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is Donna. Uh, she is in Edwardsville, Illinois, listen, uh, watching us today on YouTube, a first-time caller. Donna, you're on with Father John. Hi. Uh, I have a question and a comment, or kind of another question. But um, my first question is, I started, I watched some of these shows on, at Shrines, the Shrines on EWTN, and I've been to some of them, and I, I don't understand the, the architecture and the art, and it's... The, the, the irreverence of the art and the architecture, it looks nothing like a church. It looks nothing like it's, okay, it's just flat out ugly, let's face it. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to watch the Padre Pio Mass, I, even at Fatima, even at Divine Mercy. I can't watch it. I mean, I, I can't even think about God looking at this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, like, shocked. And I'm like, who does this stuff? And, I mean, like... I mean, it, I don't know. But anyway, so I wanted to ask that one question. And um, the other one, I wanted to make a comment about the, the marriage uh, retirement benefits. I ran into that problem myself um, a while back when I was engaged. And um, we, I didn't know the details worked out before I talked to a priest. But anyway, so we tried to run down to Florida and get married by a, by a Protestant pastor and um, just with no civil whatever, and um, it, we're just trying to do the right thing, you know, I thought, well, we'll just do this until we can get into the Catholic Church and get married, you know, and uh, then I found out there was, I couldn't even get a hold of a priest or a bishop, or I, I couldn't get nothing done, well, anyway, so ended up never getting it done. He actually passed away not too long after that. <laughs> anyway, um, the point is that I wanted to know, by trying to do the right thing, now he had ended up needing an annulment. He was Protestant, needed, and was divorced. Mm-hmm. I was a widow, but Catholic widow. But 
Okay, so I had a comment, a question about that, a comment about that. Would God even recognize that as being so? Um, and then the other question, of course. Okay, right, so um, why, why are you designing all these goofy churches, Father? <laughs> uh, well, first and foremost, I would highly urge all our listeners and viewers to look at a wonderful YouTube by Dr. Dennis McNamara. Uh, he used to teach at Mundelein. I think now he's at Belmont Abbey. Uh, he has a wonderful course on sacred art and architecture, and he explains why churches should look like churches and what the whole point of sacred art is. It's not just decorative, but it, it speaks theologically to what Catholic worship is about. And I've been to the, the new uh, shrine uh, of Padre Pio, and it looks like LaGuardia Airport. I can't stand it myself. The old church where he was and then was buried was was a, a traditional looking church. Then they built this, you know, airport uh, thing there. Um, and then I've been to Fatima uh, and the same thing. Um, you know, even up to Knock Ireland. The sad thing is, is in the from the '60s to the '80s, uh, this idea that well, you had to build it in a, in a modern way that they look like pizza huts or Sometimes they look like rest stops on, on the uh, turnpike. Um, Mother Angelica proved that that was not the case. Uh, what she built in Hansville was a lot, lot cheaper than some of these ugly, hideous churches and cathedrals that we've seen built around the same time. So that uh, for less money, you could still build something that's edifying. So I agree with the caller with that, that you know there is no reason that we build ugly churches. Now, you may inherit one, um, you know, uh, from priest friends of mine, classmates of mine, got churches that were very plain looking and then transformed at least the inside into more Catholic uh, space, as, as they say. Now, with the marriage situation, um, you know, I understand people want to do the right thing, um, but to be married in the eyes of God, you must be married by a priest or a deacon or a bishop or be dispensed by the bishop so that you, so that you know, especially if you're marrying a non-Catholic, you can get a dispensation to be married by a Protestant minister. That's not the the issue there. It's whether or not it's recorded by the state. Uh, that's something which I don't understand how that could have taken place unless the minister did what he was not legally allowed to do. As an officer of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, I have to submit by civil law or else I go to jail. Okay, this isn't just uh, a nice uh, formality. It's a legal issue, and also in the eyes of God, you want this blessed because you want this to be an actual sacramental marriage and not just you know, living together. Uh, even if you're civilly married, but it's not a, a sacrament, you're not re- able to receive the sacraments. But there's, it's never too late to have things looked at. Certainly speak to a, a, the, the, your, your um, Catholic, uh, your pastor, uh, the deacon, uh, the diocese, and if you heard, you couldn't hear anything, from where you're at, you could go to the place where the um, marriage took place. Um, but I say it's never too late. You can have get you you know look into it and see what can be done. Uh, Olivia is another first time caller in the great state of North Carolina, listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Olivia, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Thank you guys for taking my call. Um, I was calling because I've spoken to a couple priests. And I know I'm not allowed to attend weddings outside the church. Like, um, a couple of my family members and friends, they're getting married outside the church. They were confirmed, baptized, confirmed, everything. 
But they're no longer practicing, and I would say they haven't been practicing since they were confirmed. And I know technically I'm not allowed to or I'm not supposed to go to those weddings because then it would symbolize that I approve of their marriage when I know it's invalid. But I just, I'm having a difficult time dealing with this. So I just didn't Mm -hmm. know if you had any, I don't know, words of advice for the situation. Yes. Well, my advice brother, sister, son or daughter, mother or father. Okay, and that's as close as you could get there. Um, and if you don't go, you know, there's a danger that they're not going to speak to you ever again. Um, you can go, but still at the same time convey the fact that you're not happy about it. You know, you have to express that to them. You can't just say, uh, well, I hope they realize. No, you must say to them, I'm not, you know, I- I'm going only because I love you. And uh, I'm not going because I you know, believe what you're doing is is proper. And that means not giving a present. Maybe it means not going to the party. Um, I've been to weddings, Catholic weddings, where, you know, it, it was um, evangelical um, Christian uh, was the other side of the of the marriage. They, they made a clear look on their face. They weren't necessarily happy that their son or daughter was marrying a Catholic. They came, all right? They were respectful, but it was still conv- – it was – very noticeable that they were not happy campers. Um, unfortunately, as Catholics, we, you know, it's either, you know, we, we, uh, we're not able to convey that. And you can do it without being rude or nasty. Um, to, and it's more than just showing your disapproval. As you said, we don't want to condone what's wrong. But at the same token, uh, if you have a credible, substantial uh, apprehension of fear that they will never speak to you again, and this is a very close relative, then you can go, but you don't want to go showing like this is no big deal. Yeah, we're happy for you. We're going to buy you a big present. Um, certainly, you know, going to these, um, you know, um, bridal parties, uh, bachelorette parties where they're not getting married in the eyes of God or in the church. Why? Why go to those things? But to the ceremony, um, unless it's something that's very, um, you know, wrong in the eyes of God, I would say you can go under those circumstances, but clear it with your spiritual director or your confessor, too. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Join us for Mother Angelica Live Classics tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This week, Mother discusses... um, archangels and guardian angels and how they aid us in our daily battles against fallen angels, also known as demons. That's tomorrow. Mother Angelica Live Classics, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Next up is Jennifer, another first-time caller in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Jennifer, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Thank you. Good afternoon, fellas. Um, Wow, just Sitting here listening, I have so many more things to say than just my question, but <laughs> I'll get right to my question. Um, and I want to say, hi, Father John. You sound well. I'm glad to know you're well. I believe I was with you and and Father Ken Brigenti when you went to uh, on the trip to Rome to see Padre Pio's uh, residence, 2010. Is that the, was wow? That you've almost... got a good memory. <laughs> yeah. It was a very fun trip. Was that his old... Twelve years ago. Yeah. Was that the new place that looks like the airport that you refer to, or... Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember. Okay, to the question. Often we hear, uh, you know, about Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman. Science doesn't seem to agree with that. Sounds more like um, evolution happened. Uh, and so often I hear from my friends who say there was no first man and first woman. And uh, so I was wondering if you could talk to us about that. And then I would just like to make a comment um, to the caller about uh, Mother Mary. When I think of co-redemptrix, I just think, you know, she gave birth to him. So if she had not uh, said yes and had not given birth to our Redeemer, uh, you know, what then? And so co-redeemer for me, pretty easy to understand. All right, that's all I have. Go ahead, Father John. Okay. Well, thank you, and thanks for going on the trip. <laughs> um, we hope to do it again soon. Um, there was a couple, two scientists from England who were agnostic, and in 1981, I believe, uh, they came with a, uh, they discovered through mitochondrial DNA that genetically the human race, the whole human race, uh, can be traced to one woman. And they did this scientifically, uh, they and the article that they had written for uh, a, a scientific publication, as it was re reported in the secular press, the secular press used the word Eve. Uh, the scientists weren't happy because they said we are not believers, but in actuality they were proving what we believe that the human race. And this is Pope Pius XII made this clear, humani generis, uh, that the human race comes from one set of parents, mon monogenism as opposed to several, which is polygenism. And through mitochondrial DNA, they can show that the whole human race is traced to one woman. And now they're going through another uh, set of uh, studies to show that we can also be traced to one man. Now, how you get from one man and woman to all the human race is still, they're filling in the blanks. But the fact they show that not only is it possible, but it's a fact. Now, how you get from one to the the billions and billions that we have they're still working on but they're showing that we're all one human family that's the beauty of it which genesis teaches us uh, by faith and now science is corroborating that um but there is room for uh, christian evolution because mm -hmm. god has to create the soul uh at the moment that the human being uh is created um that doesn't mean that you know he can't have things develop and change just as you and I go from being an uh, embryo to uh, an old person before we pass away. Yet we're human from, from the moment of conception all the way to the last breath of, of, of before we die. And correct me if I'm wrong, Father John, but there's really nothing in our faith that would keep us from the notion that there could have been human-like, non-human beings that w that existed before he created our original parents. Yeah, there's been some speculation, particularly when you when you're reading the story uh, of 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 creation in Genesis. Um, Cain, after he kills Abel, you go from four human beings to three. Where does he get his wife? Um, why does God put a mark on him so no one's going to kill him? So there is um, wiggle room to say, yeah, there could have been humanoid-like beings. Um, certainly, we the scientists is showing now we didn't come from Neanderthals. They coexisted with us, and they died out. So there could have been 
uh, human-like creatures uh, that coexisted with us, and but we are unique. Homo sapiens, human beings, are distinct, and not that we sort of came from uh, the same sort of uh, primeval swamp. Uh, next up is John, another first-time caller in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, listening or watching us rather on YouTube. Uh, John, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father. It's a pleasure to speak with you. My question is this. We are taught and we believe that the Son of God was born into this world with an absolutely perfect conscience and without original sin. So, knowing this, why is it that Jesus still received baptism? Okay, good question. The baptism Jesus received was not a sacrament. It was purely, purely symbolic, because John the Baptist, he was, he was uh, doing a symbolic baptism. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizane, which means to wash. And Jesus is the one who created the sacrament of baptism. And so just like today, uh, for it to be a valid sacrament of baptism, not only must water be used, but we must invoke the Holy Trinity and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in the gospel, go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. John did not use that formula, nor was John intending uh, to confer sanctifying grace. Only Jesus could have done that. And as a, a divine person, he didn't need it. He already had it. So his baptism at the River Jordan was like all the ones that John was doing. It was purely symbolic, but his was significantly more symbolic because he made the waters of baptism holy by, by the fact that he was being washed with those waters. But the only thing that was being washed was his physical body. There was no sin for him to be washed from. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Peter, another first-time caller in Phoenix, Arizona, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Peter, you're on with Father John. Yes, good afternoon. My question is in reference to using the incense at a high mass, or does it need to be called a high mass? Is there a certain number of servers that need to be utilized during that? high mass, or can it just be one person doing it? Well, if you're using the uh, ordinary form, uh, sometimes called the Novus Ordo, uh, you you can have one person, one incenser. Um, there's a lot more uh, simplification, and it's not as, as complicated. But if you're going to do the extraordinary form, or sometimes called the traditional Latin mass, uh, the rubrics there are a little bit more specific. Uh, even like when the priest is incensing the offertory gifts, uh, it's more uh, elaborate uh, at the extraordinary form. Uh, you have the option of doing that in the uh, ordinary form, the Novus Ordo, but it, you can also do the more simple method. Now, in terms of how many servers you have, all that's stated in the instruction of the Roman Missal that's in the front of the book, but again, there's variations if you're going to use the extraordinary form or ordinary form the Novus Ordo, or the traditional Latin Mass. Um, Bishop uh, Eliot has written a good book, Ceremonies of the Modern Roman Rite. Uh, that gives you a wonderful explanation on, uh, particularly in the ordinary form, what is uh, mandatory, what is permitted. Uh, I would highly recommend that book. And they're really, in the ordinary form, there is no differentiation between high mass and low mass, is there? 
They don't call it that um, in the old days uh, because high mass in the extraordinary form, you got a priest, a deacon, subdeacon. Um, now, when I was growing up, we had the Novus Ordo, but the Monsignor called a high mass, which meant you lit six candles if the choir was singing. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't high mass, he said, don't light all six. That's <laughs> the mm-hmm. high mass was a bigger donation was $50 <laughs> and it was only $5 for the, the low mass. He said, don't be lighting them candles, boys, yeah. uh, unnecessarily. But as you said, it's all in the rubrics, but uh, for the with regard to the extraordinary form, there are a certain number of altar servers that are required. There are certain altar servers, there are certain number of, of priests or clergy you need in the sanctuary, and if you don't have a subdeacon, you can dress um, a layperson up as a subdeacon. That that was done, or a priest. So, I mean, there's there's more things that have to be done, but you have to uh, distinguish between the two and follow the rubrics for each uh, specific uh, celebration. Um, Nancy wants to know, what did some of the earliest Christians say about Mary and her queenship, motherhood, and her intercession? Oh, I mean, going back to antiquity, they, they all affirmed that Mary was... Uh, Pivotal because you know the Council of Ephesus, all right, uh, that uh, took place uh, in in the fifth uh, century. You know this idea of calling Mary Theotokos, the Mother of God, more than just a title, was this idea of her role as Queen Mother, and so the queenship of Mary is a very very ancient liturgical feast. It's not something more recent like uh, Feast of the Sacred Heart. Um, the queenship of Mary, because it's, it's like when Queen Elizabeth was alive, her mother, Queen Elizabeth, was queen mother because of her relationship to the king and to the queen. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer Charles Beery, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes. Until we get together then, God bless.